0: Please pray with me again. Father, we begin a look into Your book. And it is no mere historical document, history, or narrative. It's Your words. Your words for man. Recorded. Inspired supra And as we go into this mine of Ecclesiastes, Holy Spirit, give us light that we might see. Jesus Christ, direct our eyes and open our ears that we might see the gems, the riches that await us. For life. So Father. We give you this time. As we humbly come as your children. And we sit at your feet. And we listen for our father's word to our heart. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, you always know that you should be a little nervous. When a preacher comes to the podium. With not one but. Two Bibles. Uh, you ought to be getting a little nervous now, but this Bible <clears throat> is my father's Bible. It's one of the few things. My father died uh, this summer, and it's one of the few things that we took away from his, uh, his home uh, where he lived. And I can recall the last conversation that I had with my dad. My dad didn't go to a local church, he was not a part of a congregation, but he each day read from his Bible. And he told me in the last conversation, because I always inquired, I said, dad, or I called my dad JP, JP, what are you reading in these days? He says, oh, same old, same old. And and I said, what do you mean, same old, same old? What What are you reading in? He says, well... I'm reading through Ecclesiastes. He said, it just seems that along with my newspaper that I read, it seems to translate and gives me understanding for life here, now. I had uh, talked with Justin at the beginning of the summer as we planned out the remainder of the year, the preaching series. We have not gone through, as a congregation, a church family, the book of Ecclesiastes. I don't recall having gone through the book of Ecclesiastes in almost 34 years of ministry. But we put it on the, the chart, on the schedule, and I would come back to Justin. I said, oh, I'm just not so sure. I'm just not so sure. But then with that last conversation with my dad, and then receiving his Bible following his death, and seeing how he had marked up Ecclesiastes, I said, this is the Lord. Not only are we a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church, so we're going to go through the Bible, but like my dad, we need not simply encouragement for the life that is above the clouds, above the sun, but we need understanding, we need wisdom, we need, to, we need direction for life as it remains under the sun. And that is what Ecclesiastes will do. It is gritty. It's raw. It's, as someone would say, unvarnished. It's truth. There is not a lot of mention of God except in the 12th chapter. The book is going to be something that I hope by the end of the series that you value. And that you find like in the centuries before us, men and women find it as a valued piece of wisdom for life here on earth as it remains. Uh, Ecclesiastes is one of the five books of wisdom. There's the Psalms, there's Job, there's the Song of Solomon, there's Proverbs, and there's Ecclesiastes that we're going to open up this morning. I just want to introduce it and, uh, and, and show you the, the theme out of chapter 1 this morning. But Solomon wrote three of those books. He wrote the Song of Solomon, which I like uh, what Eugene Peterson said, that the Song of Solomon... With all of its uh, romantic and, and lusty, uh, you know, uh, coming into the, the, the marriage and honeymoon uh, is written in his youth. Proverbs, written by Solomon, is when he's come into his full wisdom. A gift from God as he became king after his father David. He said, how can I rule over these people? For you see, a a king of Israel properly saw himself not as a king over Israel, but as David would say, who am I such that you should make me the prince of Israel? The true king was God. And Solomon said, I'm your steward. How can I manage all these people? How can I rule over these people? And God said, I'll give you anything you want. He said, I want wisdom. God said, You've asked well. And he gave him wisdom. And he was the wisest man that ever was, that the wisest man that will ever will be. There is never, never, with all technology, with all of history, with all the knowledge that we have, we still have never found a man or woman wiser than Solomon. And so he wrote the Proverbs when he had come into his full wisdom. And we know that Solomon drifted with his many wives. He began to have a a form of worship that was corrupt or polluted. He would worship his wives' false gods and idols. Meanwhile, he would worship the true God. And it came to destroy him and the kingdom. But Ecclesiastes, Eugene Peterson puts forward, is an older, wiser Solomon, and he's very repentant. And he is the author of this book, and he's known as the preacher. Look at verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. So this clearly indicates that this is Solomon. And he comes forward not as a king, he comes forward as a preacher. And Israel is the congregation. And I know that someone, you know, Wendy and I every once in a while we'll talk about, you know, I wonder when I'll retire. Well, I'll retire 10 years from now, 15 years from now. No, I think as a preacher I'll never retire um, But in heaven, there are no preachers. There are no preachers. But here on earth, they are preachers and they serve a role in your life. Not simply if you are a Christian to talk to you about your personal walk with God, a walk that will culminate in, in, in the heavens and the new earth with Him for all eternity, but also a preacher from God's Word to be able to give you encouragement, hope, even joy in the life as you live it here. But Solomon as the preacher is more of a John the Baptist preacher. He doesn't have winsome illustrations. He doesn't, he doesn't I, I, you know, I look at Solomon and, and as I've been reading through Ecclesiastes, folks, Um, As Will read, it doesn't get any better. (laughs) In fact, it gets even drearier. Anything that we would look to to satisfy us. He's going to look at work. He's going to look at pleasure. He's going to look at wealth. He's going to look at life itself. Nothing escapes His wise inquiry into what will bring me satisfaction in this life. And one by one he knocks them down. In other words he comes to us and he says I want to take away your illusions of life. I want to take away this constant lie that you gullibly fall for all the time. The lie that if I just get the right job, or if I just stay on the right career path, then it will bring me fulfillment. I'll find out life as it was meant to be. I'll find and discover my purpose, and then you get fired. Or help prevents you from going any farther. Or if I just have this, this right relationship. Or if I just have this pleasure, this hobby... Or this thing then I'll be happy. That's what life is all about. Solomon says, I want to take away your donuts and I'm going to put you on a diet of black bread. Because I want you to, this is more, this is less, less a book that comes to us and builds us up as much as it, Strips things away. This book in this series is going to have a very purifying effect, I believe, upon two rivers. It's going to be a book that I think you're going to hear week after week in the application of fresh invitation to repent. Repent of many of our pursuits, which we have not even yet perhaps found in our youth to be in vain, as if we were chasing after the wind. So, I just want to hug Solomon. I just want to say, man, you're having a bad day. You know, let's, let's go get a drink, cheer you up, bud. Um, I just want to just kind of give him a squeeze. But he's speaking to us out of this book of true wisdom. And he is first going to have to remove the illusions that we cling to. So he is the preacher. And he does come to us, and here's what he begins to say. You'll look in in verse verse 2. He says, everything is vanity. Now, vanity is the word for vapor or smoke. Think about uh, your breath on a frosty morning. James, in chapter 4, says this. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? That's the question. What does your life amount to? What's the meaning of your life? What's your, the purpose? Of, why are you here? What's life to be seen as? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. In Genesis 3, even in creation, God tells us of the transience, like a vapor. Breathe in. Blow it out like a young child on a frosty morning. You see your breath and it's gone in an instant. In Genesis, we're compared to dust. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it, you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return. In Job, he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So he says, naked, dust, a vapor. And he says, that's not just your life. That's all of our lives. When he uses that expression, under the sun in verse 3. He means everywhere the sun shines or it falls upon. All of earth and he's going to take us with him on a quest to take each one of the things work wealth family health pleasures galore he's going to look at each one of those things and said like a good lawyer let's bring this on trial and let's let me ask it some questions eugene peterson In verse 12 calls him the quester. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. I like Eugene Peterson. He says, he calls, instead of calling him the preacher, he says, he's the quester. He's on a quest. And I am so thankful for Ecclesiastes that the not only has he done the homework for us, that we don't have to live our whole life on this similar quest. We can learn from his wisdom in advance. But you also have the wisest man that ever was, wiser than we'll ever be on the case. He says in verse 4, he said, A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. I, uh, he's going to begin to tell us about the cycle of nature. But he wants to make that an illustration of the generation before us, our own generation, and the generation after us. It's all the same. You're no better, no worse than the generation before you. You're no better, no worse than the generation after you. You're kidding yourself if you think you are. Oh, I'll, be be- I'll do, accomplish far more than my parents. In some things, Yes. Oh, my kids, they will just excel me just like nature. It's going to repeat itself. It's just uh, going to it's, imagine humanity on a hamster wheel. You know, it's just the generation before you, your generation, generation after you, generation before you, generation now, generation after you. For you, for your children, grandchildren, on and on. And so he's setting it up and he's saying, this is for everybody. Don't tease yourself and think, wow, I look on Facebook and they they take the perfect vacations. They have the perfect family. Um, Wendy and I work, uh, Wendy refuses to do Facebook, so she'll look on mine on occasion when I'll point out something to her. And. I can have a tendency to look at a photo of a family on vacation and it looks so surreal to me. I mean, it's just like, wow, just the perfect family. And she's like, boy, I bet in the van getting to there, I bet that family was, I bet that was a tough ride. Those kids are a handful. I'm like, oh, yeah, they don't show you the van with the french fries and the milkshakes spilt on the sink, on the seat. They don't show you that stuff. It's everybody, folks. We're all, we're all on a path that is going to be filled with frustrations. And he points out the boredom of it. He begins in verse 5. He says, you know, the sun comes up and the sun goes down. Verse 6, the wind blows here and the wind blows there. The wind's going to blow. And the, but the wind has Direction. It's going to go around and it's going to go on a circuit and then it's going to come back. Hamster wheel. Verse 7. Streams run to the sea and then they flow again. There's a tide. There's a tidal chart. There's a tidal chart right now that is based on the tedium and the monotony of tides. You can look. 10 years, 20 years, 30 years in advance, and know what the tide will be Friday morning at eleven o'clock, 30 years from now. Because it's predictable. It's a hamster wheel. Meaningless. All right, you cheered up yet? I mean, are you you just I know it's like, what, why are we going through this series? He tells us. You're not alone in verse 8. That the eye is not satisfied and the ear is not satisfied. The eye is bored. The ear is bored. And I know that some of you in your youth will say, no, 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 no. If I can, if I can just have this relationship, or if I can just have this job, or if I can just go to this place, or if I can just accumulate this amount of wealth, Then, and older people will tell you, if you're even able to reach those points, and you may be able to reach those points, they will only satisfy you for a season. You'll go up that hamster wheel and you're getting at the top rungs and this is so great, and then it's either going to become boring or it's going to become laborious and you're going to feel cheated. You're going to feel, what's life all about? I've spent so much energy Doing this. I've spent as Solomon would say in verse three, toil. I've toiled. I've stayed on this hamster wheel with this hope. Phil, what are you doing? Robbing me of my hope. This is why I, I'm doing what I'm doing. Is one day I'm gonna get that, that next wrong. It's been said that the human being is the only animal that when it's lost, it goes faster. Wendy and I, I can tell you, we we have our worst... I'm glad she stepped out of the room. We have our worst arguments. And I'm always the idiot because I'm the guy behind the wheel. Where are we? Where are we supposed to go? I can't find it fast enough. Why are you yelling at me? And by the way, slow down. If we're lost, why are you going faster? Hamster wheel, hamster wheel. Work harder, work harder. Because i got to get satisfaction out of this. In the meantime, the joy... Just like air in a balloon is beginning to seep out. Just seep out. If you look here, he says that this is nature. In Romans 8, verses 20 and 21, Paul puts it this way Creation was subjected to futility. That's another word for vanity. And it wasn't by nature's original design or plan. Not at all. It was our fault. It was Adam's fault. And his rebellion, part of the punishment, was that creation itself would go into bondage. But there's a promise. And that promise is, is that one day it will be set free. And I, I, my favorite subject is the new heaven and the new earth. And I love it that it is actually mentioned in verse 4 of Ecclesiastes 1. The earth remains forever. But if you could ask the earth, if you could ask the wind, if you could ask the waves, if you could ask them, is this life vain? Is it meaningless? It would answer you and say yes, but it won't always be so. Peter Kraft, the theologian and philosopher said, Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes raises a huge question that only Jesus Christ is the answer for. So Ecclesiastes, we're going to discover, strips away and challenges these things that we've look to for satisfaction and for meaning and he begins to take away the illusions and he'll point not below the sun but eventually god will use ecclesiastes he's going to point above the sun or as i whimsically say life under the sun without being in the sun is no fun it's temporary. It's so fleeting. The perfect day. The perfect boat. The perfect companions. The perfect golf game. The perfect time with girlfriends. The perfect account. The perfect job. The perfect home. The perfect health. The perfect life. And the air goes out of the balloon. Maybe slowly or maybe it burst. And Ecclesiastes would say those things can be momentarily enjoyed, but don't put that as your sole source of satisfaction. That's not where joy lies. It's not under the sun. It's above the sun. And if you understand that, then you understand Ecclesiastes. He goes on and tells us that this could be challenged. For instance, in verse 9. He wants to say, listen, everything that is all, all these generations before you and all the generations after you, it's just that hamster wheel. All of nature, it's going to happen. It's, it, we've had hurricanes before. We had a hurricane approach last week. They're now talking about what? Joseph and Mary. Hur- hurricane Joseph and Maria. Just, it, if we're surprised, we haven't been paying attention. And he's saying, what has happened is going to happen again. And we're taken by surprise because we forget. And then he says in verse 10, now some guy is going to say, No, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Look at this new iPhone. A thousand bucks. Um, and listen, by the way, don't, if you get a thousand buck telephone, don't come up, and, I, I'm not impressed. <laughs> I'm going to question your sanity. But no, I know some people, it's business. But if you're just doing it for the novelty and a toy, you know, guess what? Next year, they're going to have another iPhone. Year after that, probably another one. Before long, it's going to be on your wrist or before long, it's going to be. I don't know, but there's always going to be something. So that guy or that gal that says, no, wait a minute, Pastor Phil, man, this is new. This is brand new. I want to say, no, you don't know your history. You know, what we've never had an iPhone. No, but we've had other means of communication, and by the way, they're gonna build off of that, just like the iPhone built off the other. And I'm not down on iPhones, I've got a smart device. But the idea that there's something new yet out there, and if I just have it, oh, it'll be so satisfying. Say, there's nothing, and this is people that do not know the Bible. I've heard many people quote Ecclesiastes here where it says, there's nothing new under the sun. Because they know that it's true. And he says, guess what? It's a problem because we forget in verse 11. There's no remembrance of former things. And he wants to apply this to us. There's going to come a day and again... I'm not trying to be overly depressive and morbid now. But there's going to come a day that you, you die. And there's going to be a funeral. You may have 25 people there. You may have 2,500 people there. And they're going to come to that funeral and they're going to sit through perhaps a memorial service and some people are going to give wonderful eulogies about you. And then they're going to take that casket or cremation urn away. You're going to be buried And people are going to go to lunch. Maybe at someone's house, they're going to gather and they're going to talk a little bit about you, but already the conversation is less about you and more about them. Very soon, dinner or or the meal is going to be over and people are going to take their tie off or change their dress again and they're going to go back home or they're going to go back to work. The next day, do you think they're going to talk about you? Less and less every day. They're going to forget about you. I go to my father's place with my two brothers, <clears throat> my two brothers, and uh, we've got a decision to make. All right, two brothers, do you want that old broken-down chair? Well, I don't have any place for it. I I guess I can stick it in storage, or you know, what are you going to do with it? Well, it goes to the next category decision. Do I take it to Goodwill? Or the third category, the garbage. You know, does it go in a garbage bag? Does it go in a bag to go to Goodwill? Or does it go into my home? We're going to be forgotten. If this life is all there is, I can understand why we would be very joyless. Because these things are so fleeting. He tells us in verses 12 and 13 that he was in the wisdom business. Now this wisdom he's talking about is not the wisdom that comes from God, but man's wisdom. He says, you know, I had more knowledge and more wisdom. I understood science. I understood theology. I understood history. I understand economics. I understand all of those things. And I applied it in verse 4 to everything. And he came up with a proverb in verse 15. He's got two proverbs that I want to close with and challenge us by way of application before we leave. The first proverb that he came up with is this. What is crooked can't be made straight. And what is lacking cannot be counted. In other words, it doesn't pencil out you just you try to do, if I just get this you know what if this works out and this work and then oh, man they're saying no and he's saying we live in a fallen world and you can no more straighten things out though you may be tempted to think you can than if you went up to a dent in your car fender And took with your bare hands. And punched that dent out. You can't do it. He's saying. We're not God. We live in a fallen. Broken world. That only God. Not us. Can repair. He doesn't say. Now we have God's ear. As his children. And we can pray. He can change our relationships. He can change our our heart breaks and heart aches in the workplace. He can take that, those areas that we have worked so hard for fruit that are fruitless, and he can cause it to be abundant. And fruit. Solomon doesn't do that at this point. He's saying, I'm applying the world's wisdom to everything that you're going to encounter in the world. He said, you cannot, you can't change the course of these things and you can't repair them. Not Not you. And then in verse 18, well, let me give you verse 17 because I found it comical. He says, I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. And that's like saying, you know, I, I, joined, I joined one group that was the intellectual group. And I joined, you know, the polo club so that I could... I could play polo and then I drank the 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 best of cocktails and I didn't find I didn't find satisfaction there. Just like a vapor. (laughs) So then I went down to a different group. I went down to the group I grew up with, the Rednecks. I drank Bud Light, I watched NASCAR. I'm not against NASCAR. Okay. I, I, know, I know some people are really upset about Dale Jr. and his record these days. But he's saying, you know what? I, I got down there and I got gritty and dirty and I was in the streets. And man, I, was, I, I, didn't, I didn't do it. He's saying, no matter where you are, he said, I have gone to the most influential, wealthy group. I have gone to the earthiest group. And that whole spectrum in between. He said, in that kind of lifestyle, again, it just, there's something else. Augustine, prior to C.S. Lewis, said, if you are in this life and it is creating such an ache by its burdens, that it creates a yearning for another life, a different life. And he says, that is because you were made for a different life. C.S. Lewis puts it a little differently, but it's that idea of you're feeling this life is just, it just doesn't seem like it's the way that it's supposed to be. I always thought it would be so different. And there's a beginning, an ache for a different life. That's the work of the Holy Spirit reminding you're not made just for this life. There's another life that awaits you. But you're also not made to go through this life without Jesus Christ. He puts the zest in life. He puts the satisfaction in life. He puts the joy in life. No matter where we're found. And so he concludes with a proverb that in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. And he says, there's a limit to how far knowledge and wisdom can carry us. So don't tease yourself by buying the latest lie or myth that is bombarding you and say, if you just do this, if you just discover this, or if you just do this, then you can figure it out. He's saying, no, it's almost like the more you know, the more you know that you don't know, and it's just such a burden. My encouragement to you is this. Stay with us as we march through Ecclesiastes. I know that it can be a little bit burdensome and a little bit wearying, but we'll end every week with Him pointing to the sun. He is teeing it up here and He's saying, you've been looking here and you've been looking here and you've been looking here and you've been looking here all under the sun and you're beginning to experience dissatisfaction. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Because you weren't made. You weren't made as sons and daughters to experience satisfaction in anything under the sun but everything in the sun. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Father, I ask that you would take this table and you would set it aside for a holy use this morning. Solomon has given us a feast here this morning, but it's been black bread. Before we leave, Father, from Jesus' own hand, we would be fed this living bread. We would drink from a cup of wine That makes our heart merry. Where we can look at this life and the trials that we face and the dissatisfactions. And know that like the earth, there's futility there. But it won't always be that way. And that futility is but a reminder. Of the life that we can enjoy with you. And the life that is to come. So Father, from this bread and from this cup, strengthen us, we do pray. In Christ's name, amen.